0: This sermon was recorded at Christ Church Mission, a congregation that seeks to be a people fully alive in God's kingdom.
1: Today's gospel is from the book of Mark. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: You can be seated. All right good morning again uh so today starts a new church season as i said earlier we anglicans follow this uh this church calendar that uh has these marked seasons like with themes and so for six months of the year we kind of tell the big story of jesus for six months and so that started last month with advent where we were looking forward to the birth of jesus we just finished two weeks of Christmas time, which was like celebrating the birth of Christ. And then today we start a new season called Epiphany. Uh, and Epiphany kind of uh, more or less tells the story of Christ's ministry. The three years of his, uh, of his ministry in the world. Uh, over those the course of those three years, he was bit by bit being revealed to the world and to those of us that still look to him. Um, being revealed for who he was uh, in big and small ways. How did people discover that this Jesus was who he was, that he was God, um, that he was the Messiah? How did they learn about his love and power? Our stories for the next six weeks will like, give us little snapshots of how they learned who he was. Uh, that ultimately would lead, you know, that's the spirit of the season is epiphany, kind of like a, a revelation, a lights on moment. Uh, and so that's what these, uh, these next six weeks are designed to do. Uh, that's what they did in the lives of the people that knew Jesus, and it's what it, uh, they do in our lives too. Uh, so I think we'll look at stories uh, that talk about uh, like who Jesus, the controversial people that Jesus spent his time with. We'll look at some of his like paradigm shifting teachings and we'll look at some of his supernatural acts of great power uh, that really revealed to the world who he was. We'll be, by the way, in the book of Mark for the next six weeks. Um, And, you know, in my view, the spirit of the season of Epiphany is the answer or is wrestling with this question. Who is this Jesus. And that question has been the question that all Christians have puzzled with and wrestled with since he was, since he was here. Uh, And I don't know, I don't care how long you've been a Christian, whether it's a a new, very short amount of time or a great long amount of time. Uh, That question, who is this Jesus, is still worth your careful attention, okay? And that's what the spirit of uh, Epiphany is trying to do. Uh, okay, so in this first, uh, on the first Sunday of Epiphany, we're going to look at one of the most significant moments of Jesus being revealed for who he was, and arguably like the first moment that he was revealed for who he was, and it's his baptism, when Jesus himself was baptized. Uh, and here, this week in particular, I want us to think about the question of whether Jesus Christ was great and high and transcendent and powerful or whether he was low and humble you know and a servant Which of those two things is he? And of course, the answer is that he's both of those things. He's somehow both of those things. And I think in this story of Jesus being baptized, we see both of those realities, the greatness and glory of Jesus Christ and the lowness and the humility of him. Both his power and his voluntary weakness are displayed in the story of him being baptized. Uh, So we'll do those two points like his his great power and glory, and his lowness and humility. And there will be two for each one, just so you kind of know the roadmap here. Okay, let's start with Christ's greatness as it's displayed in his baptism. Uh, The text begins with John the Baptist because John is the one that's doing the baptizing. The passage says that John was baptizing and that the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were coming out to him to be baptized by him. And uh, Mark tells us what John was saying while he was baptizing people, or some of the things that he was saying. This is his message. This is John the Baptist talking at the top. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. So I wanna provide a little context and meaning for a line like that. In John's day, in Jesus's day, Teachers, rabbis, weren't paid for their services. And so they kind of worked out an arrangement with their disciples or students that those disciples and students would help provide and support, uh, provide for and support the rabbi in their teachings and in their life. So they would cook for them and provide other services that would alleviate the burden of trying to, you know, make it through life, navigate life as this rabbi. But there was an ancient rabbinical saying that said this every service which a slave performs for his master shall a disciple do for his teacher except that of loosing of his sandal. In other words, that would be too much. You know, there's a line at some point that a rabbi cannot ask their student, sure, to provide a meal, okay, but not to stoop down and untie and loosen his sandals. That is a bridge too far. And so let's just like develop a social norm of not having our students be the ones that reach down and untie our sandals. And in this illustration that John the Baptist is saying, he is putting himself in the place of the student. And he's saying that the one that comes after me, my teacher, my master, if you will, uh, I am not worthy to untie his sandal. So this person that's coming after me, John is saying, it's not that he's not worthy for me to untie his sandal; it's that I'm not worthy to untie his sandal. Do you get how he's taking that teaching and turning it on its side? Uh, uh, The saying is that 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 person wouldn't be worthy, and John is saying, no, no, no. It's not that he's not worthy; I'm not worthy if he asked me to do it, which would break the social norm, not only would I like want to say yes, but I couldn't say yes. Not because it's too humiliating of a task, but it's too honoring of a task for me to stoop down and untie my master's sandals. So John uh, is making the point about how much greater Christ is than himself. Now, we have to get a, a point of reference, though, because you know this master that's coming after him, Jesus Christ, is this much higher than John. But like, where does John stand? We might ask, like, because if John is kind of lame, then like maybe that's not saying that much. But it turns out that that's not the case. John the Baptist was actually a very significant and impressive person. And take the words—not don't take my words for it—take Jesus's words for it, because in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says. Uh, that among all those born of women, which is everyone, uh, that, that no person has ever been born that is greater than John the Baptist. John, He's saying John is the best of humanity. John the Baptist is the best of humanity. John is here. And John is saying, well, look, I might be here, but Jesus is He's completely other. He's not just a few degrees better than me or better than the best of us. He is altogether a horse of a different color. I am not worthy even to stoop down and untie his sandals. John is highlighting to us how much greater and more powerful and glorious Jesus is than himself. There's more, though. There's another way that John highlights Jesus' greatness. Uh, John says, I baptize you, it's part of his little speech out there in the Judean countryside. He says, I'm baptizing you with water, but the one who's coming after me will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In other words, John's saying like, hey, what I'm doing and what, this, what my master is going to do are two different things. What I'm doing, you know, John is standing maybe waist deep in the muddy waters of this little Jordan River. And he's saying, hey, people are coming out to me and like they're confessing their sins. And I'm, I'm perfor- performing a symbolic act of pushing them under the water and pulling them up as like a ceremonial symbolism of the dirt and sin of their life being washed off of them that's what I'm doing, John is saying. Baptism pre-existed Jesus Christ, obviously, because John was doing it even before Jesus. And, uh, and baptism in those days was largely something that they would do ceremonially to make themselves, uh, to, to go from unclean to clean. So it was a ceremonial act. And it was also sometimes just an actually like physical act of baptizing. You know, You'd baptize your hands and arms because they were filthy and like your uncleanliness was may like pose a hazard to our community. So would you baptize them, please? Uh, And so that, that was the context that John was baptizing in terms of symbolic, ceremonial, sometimes physical. But he's saying, look, the one that's coming after me, his baptism, completely different. He's baptizing with the Holy Spirit. His baptism isn't symbolic. It's real power. The Holy Spirit, like in baptism, you know, changes us. This is what we still practice as the church. We practice a Jesus type baptism, you know, uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit that uh, we invite whenever we baptize anyone, young or old, we invite the Holy Spirit to begin to saturate that person's life and to transform them and to begin to make them new. It's not just a symbol. We're asking the Holy Spirit to do something real. That's Jesus type baptism. And John is saying, look, I'm over here doing the water symbol baptism thing. And that may be important, but what he's doing is essential. And it's something different. It's better. It's greater. This is again, underscores the great power and glory and Highness of Jesus Christ at his baptism. OK. So what does this passage then show us about his lowness, about Jesus's humility? A couple of things, two things. Uh, first, well, the passage says that Jesus was baptized. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was himself baptized by John in the Jordan River. While all the other people were being baptized, Jesus too was baptized. And we have to ask ourselves the question as Christians and people who read the Bible, why? Like, why was Jesus baptized? Isn't baptism about repentance and the forgiveness of sins? It's in our passage like three different times. Uh, That's what John says uh, in verse four. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of forgiveness for the uh, of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Verse five, one verse later, confessing their sins. They were baptized by John. Clearly, baptism is about a person having these sins, confessing them and then receiving forgiveness for them. So why then was Jesus baptized? Jesus didn't have sins that he needed to repent of and thus receive forgiveness for Well, it doesn't make logical sense, but I think that there are a couple of really important reasons uh, why Jesus was baptized. Uh, I could answer it a couple of different ways, um, but I'm only going to do it once, one one time today. Um, Jesus, I think, was happy to count himself among the sinful people that day. There's something really moving to me about imagining Jesus in the line of people that were coming to John the Baptist for baptism. That Jesus stood in line with prostitutes and tax collectors and the Pharisees, hypocritical Pharisees and the atheists and the irreligious and everything in between. And Jesus stood in line with all the others. He was happy to go through the waters of baptism with all of the other sinners. Jesus didn't stand up and make a big fuss and differentiate himself and say like, hey, hold on, this guy, no, no sins here, don't, doesn't need to be baptized, like, I don't need any forgiveness, no. He was willing to number himself, number his, himself among the sinners that day. And that was what actually differentiated himself from everybody else. His willingness to humbly do what he did not have to do. Uh, Let me share a little illustration. I may have shared this uh, story before, but it was a simple but powerful uh, example to me. Uh, I went bowling with my dad like a while back. And my dad is an amazing bowler. You have to understand that my dad is an expert bowler, okay? He has bowled something like five perfect games in his life. Yes, he's a very good bowler. And, uh, and he bowls multiple times a week. And so, uh, and it was over the holidays, maybe last year or something. And uh, he invited me and my kids to come bowling with him at his bowling alley. He doesn't own the bowling alley, but it's his bowling alley. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, uh, and we got there just a few minutes before it opened. And there were other people that were standing at the front doors ready to go in with us. And they were in front of us. And I half expected that once the doors opened, that my dad would kind of be like, let's you know, we're going to bypass this line. I'll just like, let's go. He has his own locker. You know, he's like, let's just, let's just go get all set up and all square up with these guys later. You know, he knows all the staff and all the staff know him. Uh, but when we went in, we went, we stood in line with nine-year-olds that don't know what size of shoe that they need. Oh. And that, you know, it took 10 minutes for us to get through the line to eventually get to our lane. Oh. And I, the whole time, am thinking, oh, man. My dad could ease. We could just go, you know, like the, everybody knows him and he knows everyone. But he just patiently stood in line while they talked to the staff about setting up the bumpers for their lane or whatever, which he would be, you know, he would. Bumpers are an atrocity to him, you know, but like but he patiently waited and they got their shoes and they and eventually we went and got in line. And it was just a simple but moving example to me of a person who is happy to count himself among the ordinary people that day. My dad is no ordinary bowler, but he counted himself among the the ordinary bowlers uh, that day. He bowls perfect games, but he counted himself among the bumper bowlers, which is saying a lot. (laughs) Likewise, Jesus humbly counted himself among the uh, the sinful people that day. Jesus, in his baptism, demonstrated that amazing paradox of both solidarity with humanity and distinction from the rest of humanity. He counted himself among sinners, which ought to sound familiar to us because he did it there at the beginning of his ministry in the waters of baptism, and he would do it again at the very end of his ministry. He would count himself among sinners, even though he did not deserve what he got. All right, one more key thing in Jesus' baptism that shows not his highness, but his lowness. Uh, One of the hallmarks of Jesus' baptism, when you think about Jesus' baptism, if you have heard the story before, one of the things that you might think of is that voice from heaven, uh, that God saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well-pleased, Now, you might be thinking, hold on, Dean, there's no way that you can say that that the voice of God from heaven to Jesus actually underscores Christ's lowness. There's no way that that underscores his highness, that the voice of God would say, this person is my son. And you would be right in many cases. Uh, I agree that it does like accentuate his highness. Uh, And that's an amazing epiphany in and of itself, you know, a voice from heaven saying, this is my son. But on top of that very obvious display of Jesus's glory, there's something more subtle happening in that voice from heaven. Because what would have been obvious to everyone who was there that day, I'll put an asterisk, who heard that voice which we think it was a lot of people, but we don't know for sure. Uh, But anyone who would have heard that voice, especially Jesus, who knows the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, would have, when they heard that voice from heaven, say, this is my son whom I love, and with him I am well pleased, they would have been, what would have been ringing in their ears is another Old Testament passage of Scripture from uh, the book of Isaiah, chapter 42, verse 1. This is what that verse says. Here is my servant whom I uphold my chosen one in whom I delight. Do you see those parallels? Let's put the other one up there, Italo, so we can see them together. <laughs> you are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. <coughs> and keep in mind that there's like translations at play here. Like this, everyone would have known when that voice came from heaven, they would have been hearing and remembering this passage from Isaiah 42:1. Well, what's the big deal? The big deal is just that the context of Isaiah chapter 42 verse 1 is about the coming of the Messiah who would rule and reign not just with power and great glory, but with suffering and service also. The next verse after 42.1 is, uh, he will not cry aloud or lift up his voice. A clear reference to Christ's suffering uh, on the cross and in his arrest. The very next verse after that, he will not cry aloud or lift up. Oh, I just did that one. Sorry, the next one. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. Uh, A reference to uh, Christ's gentleness and uh, humility uh, that his work does uh, in our lives. And so, Right here at the beginning of Christ's ministry, at the very, one of the very first moments of him being revealed for who he was, we have a word, not just about, this, this This, is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased, is not just a message of love from God to Jesus. When Christ heard it, he also heard a message about his purpose and his, his ultimate ministry in the world. Christ heard uh, this is my son whom I love, and he heard, who will not lift up his voice or cry out in the streets. Right there from the beginning, Jesus was being revealed, not just as this great master uh, and, and the giver of the Holy Spirit, but also the humble one among sinners that will one day suffer for us. He is gloriously powerful and he's wonderfully humble, and he loves us. Amen?